Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we dedicate this time to the worship of the God of the Bible. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a gift of prayer by which we can talk to you. We thank you for the gift of your word by which you speak to us. And Lord, we ask that the conversation would be both ways this morning, that we would be able to hear from you. And Lord, that you would be able to uh, change our lives after your desire and after your plan. We pray that as we sing, that our singing would be acceptable in your sight, that we would give our best to bring praises to you. We pray for the special music, the preaching, and Lord, most of all, we pray especially for the time of invitation that not one of us here would withhold from you what is your due. We pray for those that are unsaved today that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, for those who are saved, that today would be a time of strengthening and bringing more glory to you through the life that you give us. We ask you to work that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, How many of you know what a sparrow really is? Those little tiny brown birds that you see out on the sidewalk in the middle of the winter. Those are sparrows. And God cares for everyone. And if he does care for the sparrows, how much more does he care for you and I who were created in his image? Now, on Sunday mornings, we have taken the last uh, few Sunday mornings, and we are studying the subject of God's love through the book of Ephesians. And God's love is what saves us. Amen? That's Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible tells us that God has seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in the mind of Christ. Those that have trusted Him as their Savior are already in heaven. Of course, God can see the end from the beginning. You and I are stuck in this uh, measurement, in this confinement called time. And so we have to wait and we have to live through this period called time in order to fulfill what God already sees happening in our life. I don't know how anyone reads and studies their Bible and believes that God gives a salvation that you can lose. That God gives a salvation that is only temporary or it's conditional on things that you do. The salvation of God is conditional upon God. And that's eternal. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had something that you never messed up? Don't you just hate it when I ask questions like that? I mean, there's nothing we have. That we haven't done something wrong with. Isn't that true? Aren't you glad God makes our salvation conditional on Him instead of us? And you see, that's God's love. And last week, we were in 
Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul was praying for the Ephesians that they would understand God's love. I mean, does it make any sense to you that the creator of this universe... I saw a bumper sticker yesterday. It says, the earth is not my mother. But the God who created it is my father. Man, I like that. I wish I could get a copy. Maybe we'll make one up. It, it looked like something that they had made themselves. But I mean, boy, that, that puts the truth across. That the God who created this world should care about each soul, about each sparrow, about each living thing in his creation. We, we live in a world that is dominated by an ideal called socialism. Now, socialism is exactly the opposite of what the Bible is. Socialism is the emphasis on everybody as a society. Well, how can you have an emphasis on everybody? May I illustrate? I have 12 children. Can I put an emphasis on 12 children at one time? Absolutely not. It's got to be one at a time. Little Joey came up this morning. And, of course, Sunday morning is a very busy time around here. I mean, everything's got to be ready. Church service is getting going. And, but you know what? Joey was in need of some individual attention. And not in a bad way. He just needed somebody to give him an extra hug and tell him he was his friend and, and just care for him in a little way. Aren't you glad God does that with you? How many of you experience God's intimate love for you as an individual? You see, the reason man loves socialism is because it means he doesn't have to love anybody. And the entire focus then becomes, well, I'm sorry, you're just collateral damage. Society must move forward, and if you have to die, well, that's just part of it. I want to challenge you. God is not a socialist. He believes in individuals. He cares as much about every individual person as only God can. That's his love. And you've got to understand his love instead of just relegating God to a chair up in heaven he sits on his throne. He's in control of everything. We understand this, but he's not personal. Excuse me. That's blasphemy. Because God is personal. That's what 
Ephesians chapter 3 is all about. Verse 18 says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God i want you i want our church as a church to spend some time trying to comprehend and understand and thinking about the love of God. It is the most powerful force in the universe. In fact, 1 John tells us that love is God, that God is love, that love is the essence. It's really God's person in an active way way is what love is that's why I challenge people who are unsaved you cannot understand what true love is until you accept the creator now I've had lots of arguments about that over the years I love my wife and I'm not saved and she's not saved how can you tell me well I'm not saying that you don't have affection one for the other. But I want to challenge you, love is far more than just affection. But we do things for each other and we care for each other, yes. But love is the presence of God. I will challenge you, even as a Christian, as you try to love other people, there will always be an expectation of return. Isn't that true? Hello? You want to argue that one with me? I would hope not. But let me ask you a question. What did God ask in return for his love? What did God expect? It was Jesus that said, Broad is the way and wide is the gate which leadeth unto destruction, and many be that go in thereat. John the disciple gave this testimony. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. How many times did Jesus say, O faithless generation, how, must, how long must I suffer with thee? But did he ever stop suffering us? Hello? You see, that's love. And that's why you have to have God in your relationships with other people is so that you can love without having to have something come back. Oh, they write songs about unconditional love. You love me just the way I am until you put those glasses on. (laughs) If people loved each other just the way they were, would plastic surgeons have a job? 
I mean, stop and think about it. Why do we do these things? Why do we prepare ourselves? Sometimes this is a touchy subject. We get all gussied up to go out so other people can see us. Why don't you do that to stay at home? Well, because nobody's there except my husband. Well, wait a minute. Who are you supposed to look nice for, ladies? I'm not trying to be rude this morning. Guys, don't tell me that the ladies have an end on the use of a mirror. Amen? Oh, I mean primp and prim and proper and... Why? Because you want people to look at you. Now, we all need to present, and I'm glad, as I stand before you this morning, that everybody took proper uh, physical hygiene and, you know, it, it's uh, good in the auditorium this morning. Amen? We praise the Lord for that. But what we're talking about is why do we do what we do? Are we doing it to be seen of others? Or are we doing it so we can present Christ to the world in which we live? You see, that's really true love. You see, he has called us to bring glory to his name. Now that's hard to do. I was reminded by my wife when we got the lettering on the church van, you're going to have to be really careful how you drive from now on. Because we don't want anybody saying bad things about the church because they get cut off in traffic. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be careful about those things. That's real living, isn't it? And we've got to work diligently. And so Paul takes up after this prayer about understanding God's love because God's love is completely fulfilled in your life, in my life as individuals, when someone looks at us and sees the hand of God working in our life. That is the ultimate And that God, who is in heaven, would choose you and I to do that. Is that not the ultimate love of God? That he would care enough about you or I to be identified with us. Hebrews tells us he's not ashamed to call us brethren. How many of you would be ashamed to call yourself brethren at times? This is God's love. We need to understand this. And you see, we're moving through the book of Ephesians. There is a progression. And it's amazing, as I started on this, I said, man, the, love, the word love is used 
so many times in this short little six-chapter book. I believe, I'm not sure the exact count, but I know it's somewhere around 16 times. And that doesn't count other uses of the word as beloved, someone who you show love toward and other things like that. This little book is full of the love of God. But when you think of the book of Ephesians, how many of you, first thing you think of is the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. How many think of the famous chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, which Lord willing will deal with next week, on husbands love your wives and wives love your husbands. I mean, that's an incredible chapter. Chapter 4, which we're looking at today, is the doctrine of the local church. And as a Baptist, it's an important chapter because we make a big deal about the local church because Jesus did. Amen? But do you know chapter 4 is just full of love? Because you can't serve God without love. You can't be a part of his church the way you ought to be until you first have received his love. Ephesians chapter 2, been saved. We believe a doctrine that we hold is a regenerate church membership. That means that you have to be saved before you can become part of the church. You have to have your eternity settled before you start dealing with the days you live here on earth. You know, most churches have that backwards. Most organizations, excuse me, that call themselves churches have that backwards. You join the religious organization, you do what they say, and hopefully someday you shall attain unto at least some level of salvation. Isn't that what they teach? How many of you remember attending a church like that? But the Bible teaches you've got to get it settled with the love of God first before you can serve him. Somebody asked me, but but there, there were many great people who weren't Baptist. Hey, I'm not arguing about that. But let me tell you, John and Charles Wesley felt that God had called them to take the message of salvation to their church, the Episcopal or the Church of England. Now let me ask you a question. If they recognized that salvation, that Bible salvation was not part or necessary to be a member of the Church of England. Should that not have been a red flag saying, I got the wrong church? Hello? Am I the only one that sees that this morning? That's why they ended up starting another church. But it was built upon the same premises. The Bible teaches you've got to understand God's love and the forgiveness of your sin first. 
But you know what? That's not the end of God's love. That's just the beginning. He wants you to bring glory to His name through the church. What does it say? Let's read that last verse of chapter 3. By the way, we're still in the introduction. Uh, Somebody said, preacher, keep the sermons long. So it's going to be a big one today, all right? But uh, uh, verse 21, unto him, talking about Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And all God's people said, now let's read verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye, you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Oh, my. Boy, that changes the scope of everything, doesn't it? He says, listen, I'm begging you. As the prisoner, Paul was in Rome in prison at this time. He had spent three years in Ephesus, but he could not visit them because he was in jail. He was waiting to be heard by Caesar. Now look at verse 2. He says, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. How many of you would like to be treated like that? Amen? How many of you love it when someone is patient with you? When someone doesn't come down on your head like a ton of bricks? It says, with all lowliness. Now, that's not too hard to figure out. Lowliness versus haughtiness or highness. How many times have you ever said, maybe under your breath, yes, your royal highness. Because somebody had put themselves way up on a pedestal and you just felt like they were looking down at you. and With all lowliness. You know, we all fight the same struggles. We all are tempted by the same sins, are we not? We all have to fight the same flesh. With all lowliness and meekness. Now see, this is where we get things messed up. Lowliness... Without weakness, meekness, I'm sorry, let me get this right. Loneliness without meekness is just beating yourself up for the sake of feeling the pain. You ever made anybody like that? You know, sometimes we think by condemning ourselves, by saying bad things about ourselves, sometimes... Uh, I've met people, I've been tempted to do it myself. Sit here and just say, how in the world could you be so stupid? Just come on, let's, let's get over this. And you beat yourself up. How many of you know what that really is? It's backwards pride. 
you think by injuring yourself that somehow you're being better than you would be if you didn't. It's one of the lies the devil has. You see, meekness is going under the authority of another. It's acting under someone else's authority. My favorite example is the little tiny police officer in the 80,000-pound semi-truck. Is that truck going to stop when the police officer puts up their hand? You better hope they do. You know why? Because it's not that police officer. 120 pounds of police officer is not even going to slow down an 80,000-pound rig. Not going to happen. But the authority behind that police officer is going to make that driver want to slow down awful quick now, isn't it? You see, we still have to operate under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we must have loneliness of mind, not esteeming others better, I mean, esteeming others better than ourselves, the Bible tells us, is one way to deal with that. We have to have meekness. You know what? Wrong is still wrong. Even if both of you are doing it. Someone says, what right do you have as a human being to tell me I'm wrong? Absolutely none. But as a preacher of God's word, I have a duty given by God to tell you that sin is wrong. But if I ever get thinking that I'm above sin and temptation, guess what? I'm next on the list now, aren't I? You see, with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering. Can I give you the best definition in the world of long-suffering? It's how God puts up with you. Has he ever told you not to come back and ask forgiveness again? Hello? No, he is faithful. And he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's love, my friend. Is that not his love? They say, feel the love. No, I don't want you to feel it. What I want you to do is live in it. You see, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know what forbearing means? We have a little saying that we use. Give them the benefit of the doubt. How many know what I mean when I say that? You know what? We give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but the people who need it. Isn't it true? 
Somebody said, well, what are you going to do now that the, next, the, now that the president's been reelected? Same thing I did before. Just keep serving the Lord. Amen. Well, give him the benefit of the doubt. I have no reason to give him any benefit of any doubt whatsoever. I know what he's going to do. I know what his intentions are. And they're the exact antithesis of what is in this book called the Bible. Completely opposite. But I'll tell you what. When somebody who's a member of this church comes and says, Pastor, I'm struggling with sin, guess who I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to? Well, you've come to the right place to get it fixed. There's no other place you can come. Let's get up and let's try again. Amen? Forbearing one another in love. Guess what? You're going to make mistakes. Now, let me give you something that's just going to rock your boat. I'm going to make mistakes as your pastor. How many are you shocked to the depth of your soul? If you are, you haven't been around here very long. Amen? But what should we do? Forbear one another in love. Amen? Give the benefit of the doubt. Somebody says, you're, you're just so strong on... On, on the local church and membership. Oh, just wait. We're getting started. Amen. Why? Because that's what God says in His Word. And if you don't understand it completely, how many of you have benefited because you just obeyed what the Bible said? Amen? Give the benefit of the doubt to God's word. You don't have to understand it completely. How can you understand the love of God? It passeth knowledge, amen? Excuse my voice, but uh, I'll just do what I can with it until we're done here. But look at this next verse. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we have a lot of talk about unity. And we have a lot of talk about diversity today. Do you know that we can have both in the local church? You want to look out over the crowd today as I am right here? Uh, Let me tell you, there's about as much as diversity in this group as you could hope to have in any assemblage of human beings. But what is unity? It's believing the same thing about this book. That's unity. It's serving the God of this book called the Bible. That's what our church is about. And it says that we are to walk worthy of the vocation. What is our vocation? to bring glory to Him through the church, amen, by Jesus Christ. If you're going to bring glory to Jesus Christ, it's got to be His work in your life through His church. You need to walk worthy of that vocation, but you also need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's always amazing to me How many things get blamed on the Holy Spirit of God? 
years ago, I had a lady call me up on the phone and said, uh, I, I need marriage counseling. I said, well, we do that for people who are members of our church. And, well, I'm not a member of your church. I've never been there before. And I, I've learned since to say, if you're really that concerned about counseling here, you just need to come here for a few Sundays first. I'll tell you the rest of the story. She walks in the, in the office, and the first thing she says is, the Holy Spirit's told me to divorce my husband. And I said, no, he hasn't. Well, how do you know? Well, I know what the Bible says. And come to find out her husband was a salesman, and he'd been having a rough time. This was years ago, and wasn't making the sales that she thought he ought to make. So she wanted to dump him and get a little bit more successful husband so she could have a little better life. I said, do you know how selfish that is? I said, how do you expect your husband to go out and work and produce anything with you beating him up every night as he comes home? Oh, she got mad at me. That's why I don't counsel people who aren't members of the church because they haven't learned to forbear me in love yet. Amen? It doesn't help to give someone right information if they don't want it. You see, we've got to work. That's what the word endeavor means. To keep the unity. That's agreement in God's word. Now what's it say? Of the spirit. That's why we know God's word is in in part of this. Because the spirit's job is to teach us the understanding of the word of God. Now we move in the bond of peace. You know what the glue that God wants to use to hold us together as believers in Christ? Peace. Have you ever been at war with another individual? How many of you know what I mean when I say that? I mean, you've just been at odds. You've been battling back and forth. You cannot come to peaceable agreement. You know what? You can't have unity without that. Peace is the glue that holds us together. Does that mean we'll never have an argument? Oh, as long as we're human beings, we will have contention. Amen? But... Contention can be set aside by peace. Amen? When our unity is about being obedient to the Word of God under the direction of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you one thing and somebody else exactly the opposite. If we're working together, the Holy Spirit is going to put us in agreement. Amen? And when we don't understand why we should be in agreement, 
we go back to the way that we need to treat each other, and that is forbearing one another in love. You know, how many times, I, I couldn't tell you, people have been injured and they'll come and say, but don't you understand what you did? No. I had no clue that that statement bothered you or irritated you. I had no understanding until you said so just now. And then it's usually, please forgive me. I had no intention of offending you in that way. You know what? That's, that's what this verse is talking about. And if we in our church work together that way, guess who would be responsible for that happening? Be the Holy Spirit of God. Because no human being can accomplish that. Amen? You see, this is what it means to walk worthy. Why should we do this? Well, the next several verses here, let's start in verse 4. There is one body... And one spirit, as ye, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended... What is it but he, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, it would take a month of Sundays to go through everything that is in that set of verses we just read. But could I just sum it up in a super summary way? I mean, this means that we're skipping an awful lot of individual points that are well worthy of our attention. Everything is about Jesus. That's the summary of that passage. Everything is about Jesus. If you want to know one of the reasons why I'm so vehemently opposed to this new theology, the purpose-driven theology, the purpose-driven church, or the purpose-driven life, is because it's... The purpose-driven life is about you and what you experience. It's taking the church and turning it into a service bureau to help people who come. That's not what church is about. It's about Jesus. I met a guy here who says, but where's the love in that? Uh, excuse me? God is what? You have a better relationship with Him? What are you going to have more of? 
if you have more of God's love in your life, what are you going to be able to share with somebody else? It's God's love that saves you. How can you help someone else to God until you're there yourself? Amen? It's God's love to reveal himself unto us so that we can understand just a little bit more about him. You said, Pastor, what's all that ascended and descended stuff in this passage? Well, when Jesus was crucified, he went down into the earth and took the souls that were held captive by sin because the price had just been paid. He then ascended into heaven, leading captivity captive. And he gave gifts unto men. You know what the greatest gift he's given us? I can look at the words of this book and say, on September, I mean August 28th, 1977, I obeyed the words of this book and God promised he would save me. And all these years later, all these mistakes later, I'm still saved because that book says so. Is there any greater gift you could have than that? Is that not God's love? But yet God has done so much more in my life. If I were just want to tell you the things that God's done, would take the rest of the service. Let me, let me just challenge you. It says that he has given unto every one of us Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now let me ask you a question. How big is the gift of Christ? Would anybody like to try to measure that this morning? Is there a tape measure invented by mankind? Is there any measuring device in the mind or the cognizance of man that can measure the gift of Christ, amen? And he's given us grace according to that measure. Not according to ours, but according to his. And it goes right on to say, and he gave some apostles. You know what? That's God's gift. It's still all about Jesus. Just so you know, there are no living apostles today. An apostle is someone who is specifically called in person by Jesus and trained by him. The apostle Paul was an apostle. The disciples, 12 of which he called apostles, they were trained by him. Several of the apostles gave us what we have today as the New Testament. Luke was not... One of them, but he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. God used him. But it's God's love that's given us leadership. Some prophets. Now, every once in a while, you turn on TVN, there's all kinds of prophets on TVN. See, preacher, you pick on them an awful lot. Well, there's an awful lot to pick on. Sorry. You're, gonna, you're making the claim, not me. 
There are no prophets today in the sense of foretelling future events. See, how do you know that? Because nobody's 100% accurate. God's prophets are 100% accurate. In fact, the book of Daniel is so accurate that modern-day theologians refuse it to call it prophecy. They call it history because it's too accurate to be prophecy. That's all I have to say to you. Amen? God is capable of being 100% accurate. I know that was childish, but that's just life. Amen. Listen. Some evangelist. You know who the modern day evangelist is? That's our missionaries. Church starters. Those are biblical evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Isn't it interesting that pastor and teachers at the bottom of the list? But that's what we have the most of. In fact, I started out as an evangelist and then became a pastor teacher. We came to start this church as a church planner and then just stayed by God's grace. And now we're sending out others and supporting others. Isn't it wonderful? that we started out in need of other churches' help and support, and now we are giving that same support and help to other churches. If that's not God's love, I don't know what is, my friend. But here's the job for the perfecting of the saints. Anybody perfect yet? Raise your hand so we can all take note. Amen. No. That perfecting is a continual process. Nobody's perfect. But we will be in Jesus Christ. We're already seated in heavenly places. He is working in us for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, that's what God wants these evangelists and pastors and teachers to do. That's the job that they have. And they're to do this work. I try to preach with a purpose. I want you to take something home every Sunday morning. And by the way, Thursday night, Sunday night, Uh, When we have a family night, my prayer is that you'll take something home from the family night that comes from God's Word. You know why? Because that's what church is all about. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. There will never be a point when we will not need admonition from God's Word until we die and go to heaven. Amen? Now, we've got one more point. Try to be finished this morning. Verse 14. 13, I'm sorry. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him into all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now we got love all over the place, don't we? Because that's what's supposed to happen. You see, the goal is to grow up into him. How do we do that? In the unity of the faith. You know what? Very plain and very honest, this church is not for everybody. We want people to come and praise God. I've been looking over the statistics. We grew last year in many ways, and it's Testimony to God. But it's unity of the faith. We're not going to change what we believe to add people to the church. We want people to change what they believe to agree so that we can serve the Lord together. That's unity of the faith. And you know what? That means we all need to change. I mean, I've seen the Lord as I look back over... 25, 26 years in ministry, 20 years here. I've seen the Lord strengthen me in positions. I knew it was right, but now I see so much more. And we want to be faithful to the Word of God. We want to know more about Jesus. Because that's going to grow us up into that perfect man. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the standard. You know, sometimes we get, as the Bible says, weary in well-doing. Sometimes we just look and we say, well, I'm never going to measure up. Well, wait a minute. What are you trying to measure up to? If you're trying to measure up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, how do you ever expect to measure up to that? It can only be by the power of Christ working in you. Amen? And it's not going to happen completely until we get to heaven. So don't give up. You're going to lose your rewards if you give up now. You've got to keep striving. But I failed. Join the human race. Let's get up and keep going. Amen. That ye henceforth be no more children. Every once in a while somebody will come in and they found some website or heard some news story and they're just going, Pastor, do you know what happened? No. Uh, well, uh, let, me, let me tell you, they're, they're printing the mark of the beast on, on cats. And no, they're not. But but it's a chip, and it and it's put in, and it's and it's computer read, and it's just like they had in the Left Behind movies. And I'm sitting there going, "Well, let's let's go start over again. The Left Behind series 
If you choose that type of entertainment, be my guest. But it is not Bible. Not anywhere near Bible. In fact, Cecil B. DeMille's did a better job with the Ten Commandments than Left Behind did with the book of Revelation. And DeMille was no believer in the Word of God, trust me. It's scary stuff out there. Wait a minute. When you get grown in the faith a little bit, you're not shaken up by that stuff anymore. Remember, how many of you remember the Da Vinci Code? Well, the book that's going to change the Bible. You know what? They have a saying in computer programming. Garbage in, garbage out. Da Vinci Code, garbage in. Movie, garbage out. Let me tell you, there's nothing in that book based on fact. Mr. Brown left no fact unmolested. Almost as bad as Harold Camping. Not quite. But let me tell you something. You don't need to be shaken up when they come on in the news media and say they found the bones of Jesus. It's a lie. Total lie, fabrication. They waited 30 years because they found a little box of bones that said Jesus on it. Do you know how many people were named Jesus? And by the way, there's no proof. It's just total fabrication by somebody who hates the scripture. I remember, I remember the piece of papyrus that proved Jesus was married to Mary. They, they put it all over the news media. It was on Google News. It was everywhere. Next day, oh, total fabrication. The lady lied. <laughs> Hey, you don't need to get upset about what the world does. It's non-topical. But get upset when you're not measuring up to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Amen? You see, you've got to get the knowledge of the Son of God. You've got to get to know who Jesus is. And this is going to bring some things into your life. Maybe I'll just give you these three things very quickly, debating on whether to preach the second half of this sermon next Sunday morning or not. But the simple truth of the matter is, we really need to spend some time on verses 14, 15, and 16. It says in 15, but speaking the truth in love, you may grow up into him into all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know what that is? That's maturity. You've got to grow up into the head. The head is there. The church is his body. We've got to grow up 
under the control of the head. That is maturity. That will keep us from being tossed about and deceived by wicked and evil men. Verse 16, from, the, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. How many of you have joint issues? You know, I call them the Itis brothers, Phil and Burr and Arthur. And what happens is they get into the joints and there are tissues, several layers of tissue in your joints that supply lubrication. They keep the joint moving. The Bible says just like in the joints of a human body, we as believers in Christ are compacted together. That's why it's uncomfortable sometimes. Amen? But when we're compacted together, we're supposed to supply through the work of the Holy Spirit that which allows us to move together to fulfill the will of Christ. That's stability. But it gets better. You see, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Him We supply those things for the working of the measure of every part. Now, the last phrase of verse 16, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's sustainability. You see, we get maturity. But you got to be stable. One of the preachers was given a story of climbing up a mountain, and he said, I had a couple of boys with me whose bodies were far beyond their coordination. And so they're flopping all over the place and falling halfway down before they get up again. And I mean, it was a real mess. But when you get past that teenage stage, you ought to be able to tell your body to do things and get it done. Amen? There's some training there, some stability, but... Just because you have stability doesn't mean that you're going to keep it unless you allow that body to edify itself in love. This is the reason why churches die right here. They don't edify themselves in love. They stop giving the benefit of the doubt to the people that are there and start giving the benefit of the doubt to the nutsy TV preacher. They don't forbear one another in love anymore because somehow they've designed in their own mind how things ought to be. And when you don't match up, tough luck to you, buddy. Let me tell you, that's not scripture. God has not designed the church to be understood. He's designed it to be lived in. He's not designed it to be some theoretical model that we put up and examine and take apart and put back together again. Now, I'm a mechanic at heart. I learned uh, that very early in my uh, life, how to take things apart and put things back together. But I'll tell you, there's some things that if you take it apart, you're never going to get it put back together again. Better leave that alone. You see, God wants our church to reflect his love. This is what's supposed to happen in the church. Amen? 
We got to walk worthy. That's something you have to choose to do every day. You got to understand that everything that we have is of Christ. If there's nothing in it that's about you and me, it's all about Christ. But the closer we get to Christ, the better I am. The more benefits I receive. But that's not the goal. He has to fix me so he can use me. Amen? And we all got a lot of growing to do. The old Chinese proverb, if everyone were fatter, we'd all be closer together. <laughs> and that's some wisdom. Let that one sink in for a moment. Listen. The more we grow in Christ, the closer we'll be together. Whether we like it or not. Amen? I preached a sermon on fellowship at a preacher's meeting a couple of years ago. The preacher had asked me to preach on that very subject. I said, true fellowship among preachers is not a choice. It happens as we serve Christ. And that's what happens in the local church, my friend. As we serve Christ, as we grow up together in Him, we're going to grow closer to one another. You know what? There might be some irritation there. Uh, but let's have some loneliness because there's some irritation on your side going out the other way. Let's have some meekness. Let's keep operating under his authority. Let's have some long-suffering. Don't you just hate to put up with other people who aren't as good as you are? Long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Because that's going to teach us the knowledge of the Son of God. That's going to give us the maturity and the stability and the sustainability that we can keep serving Christ. I'm going to talk about this in the business meeting a little bit, but I'm looking toward the next generation of our church. We've got to start making some plans now, or we're not going to be ready when that transition happens. That's some scary stuff. Can't imagine an open door Bible Baptist church without me. You know what? I got to get over that. But that's the way most of us are if we really stop and think about it. With all loneliness, let's ask God to bring us to that knowledge of the Son of God the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we're no longer tossed to and fro, that we speak the truth in love, and that this body edify itself. You know what that means? We'll be producing other churches. That's what that means. Waited 20 years to see this happen. We can't drop the ball now.
And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. We ask that you would take these words. They're your words. Lord, I pray that the preaching would make them more clear in the hearts and minds of each year. Pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to overcome my speech and things that I interjected that should not be there. But Lord, that each one of us would understand what it means to live these verses. This is the love of God working in the church. Lord, if there be someone here that's not saved, Lord, I pray that they would understand their need of the Savior. And Lord, that even today, they would surrender and trust Him as their Lord and as their Savior. We pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've called us to the edifying of this body in love. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, Brother Franz, if you'd come and...